welcome to the sermon webcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was preached on January 29, 2017 by guest preacher Ben Phelps on the basis of Matthew 5, 21 through 37. Think about the thing that you value the most. Your own life, your family, your spouse. Now imagine if a mob boss came to you and demanded that very thing that you care about the most. He's going to take it from you. It's a pretty difficult situation. Now imagine that he offers you a second choice. He says, okay, I maybe won't take that most important thing from you, your loved one or your own life, but you can give me something else instead, something you value like your car, your house, your entire bank account. That would be a choice to make, wouldn't it? But the decision should be easy. You would have to give up something you really cared a lot about to save the thing that you cared the most about. Having that extra information would make all the difference, right? If you hadn't heard that you had that second choice to offer something you valued a little bit less to save the thing you loved the most, that would be a horrible situation. Jesus today, in our lesson, gives us some really desperately needed information. He warns us about our sin, and that sin is trying to take the thing that you value the most. Sin wants to take your soul from you. Jesus tells us it's easy to sin. The struggle against sin is hard, but it is worth fighting against sin with all of your strength. The thing that makes fighting against sin so difficult is the fact that it's so easy to sin. Maybe that statement surprises you. It's easy to sin? We talk about sin as doing the opposite of what God wants us to do. When we want to know what God wants us to do, we usually turn to the Ten Commandments, right? People in Jesus' day did the same thing. They turned to the Ten Commandments to find a summary of God's law, a summary of God's rules. Ten simple rules. It should be easy to keep those, right? Yet we even fail at keeping these. If you really put a lot of effort into keeping the commandments, it may seem like you're doing a pretty good job by living by the rules. If a person thinks, I keep the commandments pretty well, they may say things like this. They may go through the checklist and come off being okay. They might say, okay, don't have any false gods, don't worship idols, all right, that's not going to be a problem for me. Don't use God's name to bring down curses on other people, all right, easy enough, I just won't do that. Go to church, oh look, we're right here, right now, third commandment, taken care of. Respect your parents, well, maybe when I was younger I didn't do that so well, right now it's not a problem. Murder, no way, not doing that. Don't commit adultery, okay, I'm not cheating on my husband or my wife. In the clear there, don't steal, easy enough. Don't give false testimony in court. Well, that shouldn't be too hard. Don't covet, not so sure what that means anymore. Not so sure which commandment is which. I don't think it's that big of a deal. I'm, I'm clear. Well, a lot of people had that kind of attitude in Jesus' day. They looked at the Ten Commandments and thought they were doing pretty well. But Jesus had a message for them. Jesus had a message for the people who thought they were obeying the Ten Commandments. It's probably unlikely that you and I will go through 
our lives and break every single one of the commandments. Or so we think. We look at the commandments and we see some wording where we could find quite a bit of loopholes there. We can kind of wiggle out of exactly breaking those commandments. In our culture today, when we think of laws and rules and legal codes, we think of lengthy documents, lawyers, airtight contracts, precise wording. If something needs to be covered, it should be covered in writing, separately, specifically, in detail, individually from all those other areas of concern. While God didn't give the Ten Commandments to simple people of our day, he definitely didn't give it to just the lawyers of our day. He gave it to all people of all time. And he first gave it to the Israelite people. The Israelites, for the most part, were not a literate culture. But if you're looking for a lengthy list of codes and laws and rules, you can look at the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Those entire books are pretty much made up of laws for civil, moral, and religious rules for Israel. That's way too much for a simple shepherd or a simple carpenter or a simple housewife to memorize. But these people could memorize the Ten Commandments. And they knew better. They knew that you shouldn't just memorize these commandments and follow them just the way they were worded exactly. They knew that you needed to follow the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. These people can look at the commandments and apply their principles to every situation in life. Jesus points out to us that following the law, following these commandments, is more than just closely following the wording with our words and with our actions. The laws and commandments weren't given to mold our behavior so we would just conform to a certain way of life. No, God gave these laws to rule our hearts as well. God can see what's going on in everyone's heart, and he judges us there as well. It doesn't make a difference whether you sin with a word or an action or in the heart. It's all a sin, just the same. And our reading for today will focus specifically on where Jesus brings up the sixth commandment. Do not commit adultery. Many people of Jesus' day thought they were following that commandment pretty well. Don't commit adultery. Okay, if you're married, especially if you're a woman, don't have sex outside of marriage. Anything else goes. Well, if you looked at those legal codes in the Old Testament in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you would find that God had a little bit more to say about that. But what might surprise you is most of the examples talking about punishment for certain crimes only talked about women and how they would be punished. To our minds and ears today, that seems totally unfair. And people in Jesus' day, at least the men, took advantage of the fact that it really kind of only talked about women for a lot of these problems. But they ignored the principle of the law and tried to get away with sin. They should have known that this law was meant for all people, doesn't matter on the gender. And now in today's text, if you look at the different translations or the Greek itself, Jesus doesn't talk to everyone here about lust. He says, men do not lust. Doesn't matter if you're 12 or younger or 95 or older, men don't lust. It speaks to women today, too. Don't look at a person you're not married to and think about them sexually, physically, in that way. That maybe seems a little bit harsh. Lust? 
It almost is natural. It happens without even trying. It seems so harmless. Yet lust isn't harmless. Lust, once it takes root in a person's heart, just comes back stronger and stronger. It may be fun to let the imagination wander, some people may say, but it's the gateway drug to many different kinds of sexual sins. Once lust takes root, it wants to seek an outlet, and the devil's really good at making people feel happy about themselves. The devil really wants people to find pleasure in themselves and only for themselves. The devil is ecstatic. He's happy. He's excited. Things like pornography are so free, so available, so public, and so common. Our culture generally turns a blind eye to things like this now. Our culture encourages the idea of sex before marriage as being something very normal, very natural to experiment, to get out there, do what people do. The devil is very happy that pornography is so addicting. Even if a person wants to quit, it may plague them for years and years and years. That idea that sex is not meant for marriage is very tempting for people, too. People want to experiment with that long before marriage is even on the table. Yet even when marriage is close, it's a few weeks, a few months away, the people are engaged, there's still that strong temptation to abuse the blessings and gifts of marriage. It's a struggle that many of us, most of us, may have had to deal with at one time or another. But God is protecting the blessings of marriage in this commandment. God wants marriage to be a great and wonderful thing for all the people involved in that marriage. Marriage gives people the right outlet for sexual happiness and fulfillment. Marriage gives a lifelong companionship. Marriage very often also gives the blessing of children. But these wonderful blessings, if they come too soon, if they come outside of marriage, they may actually seem like they're a burden. And that's really sad. God is trying to protect this blessing of marriage. When he made sure Adam and Eve were right for each other, that they were together in a lifelong commitment, that's what God meant, a lifelong commitment. They weren't supposed to die. They were supposed to live forever, married to one another. But marriage will always end. It will end with death or it ends in divorce. We know what God says about death. He fought and won the victory against death. Death was never meant to be an end for marriage. But what about divorce? What does God say about that? God doesn't simply let divorce happen. He's not just okay with it. God isn't disliking divorce. He says he hates divorce. It ruins that perfect blessing of marriage. Yet he gives divorce as an option for a victim in the marriage. If one partner is unfaithful to the other, if one spouse abandons the other and leaves, God gives divorce as a tool, as a guilt way out of that contract, a guilt way, a guilt-free way, I should say, out of that commitment. It's meant to save a person harmed by another in their marriage. Yet Jesus is pretty clear on how divorce is supposed to be used. Divorce isn't supposed to be used as a convenient way out of a marriage once it gets tough and a person doesn't feel like putting in some work. Divorce isn't meant as a way to leave a relationship where that feeling of love isn't as strong as it was on the day 
you said, I do. Divorce isn't meant as a tool to leave once that other person isn't as attractive or as interesting. Divorce used in these ways, Jesus says, it's a sin. Yes, it's a sin. It's a sin like all other sins. It's a sin that Jesus paid for. It's a sin that Jesus forgives completely and fully. Jesus' disciples and followers who are here on the mount as Jesus gave us these teachings knew who Jesus was. They knew what Jesus was going to do. They knew that Jesus was going to die on the cross for these sins. They knew that Jesus was going to be raised back to life so that we all would have eternal life with him. Jesus died for all these sins. Jesus forgives all these sins, whether it's lust, pornography, marital unfaithfulness, or an abuse of divorce. Jesus paid for all of these sins. With him, we know we have forgiveness and peace. And with him, he gives us the strength to fight against these temptations. Jesus uses a lot of harsh words against sin, but now we know why. He warns us that sin leads to hell. The word he uses in the Greek is gena. It's a word for Hinnom Valley in Israel. This Hinnom Valley that Jesus uses to describe hell was a ravine just south of the Temple Mount. There people threw all of their garbage and they burned it day after day, night after night. It was an unending fire of a garbage pit. That is what hell is. All the garbage of the world is sent there to burn. Sin and sinners are sent there to burn. It's something to avoid. This is why Jesus uses such harsh words. Sin is worth the struggle. Fight against that sin. It could take that most valuable thing from you, your soul and your life. Jesus uses some pretty harsh words to bring an image to us. He says, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Get rid of it. Really, if my eye caused me to lust and to sin, God would want me to cast that out, gouge it out. Jesus is using some pretty strong language here to convey a strong image. If ripping out your eye is painful, if it's difficult, if it's getting rid of something you rely on, that's telling us the fight against sin may be difficult. The fight against sin isn't going to be pleasant. Sin can deeply entrench itself in our lives in many ways. Maybe it's the entertainment that we love, shows that promote, support, and just defend any type of sinful lifestyle that's out there. Maybe at times you have a, a group of friends that encourage you to sin, maybe drinking too much, skipping church, casual sex. The list can go on and on. You rely on your friends. Gouging them out of your life may be difficult. Perhaps it's a personal addiction that you have. It could be pornography, drugs, drinking, whatever. If that is leading you farther and farther away from Jesus and leading you farther and farther along the path of hell, it's worth gouging out of your life. And Jesus doesn't end there. He says, gouge it out and then throw it away. Move away from those temptations if possible. Find new shows for entertainment. Find different friends, better friends. Find help if you need help. We could turn to God's word every single day that we struggle with sin. We know that he will give us the strength and support and encouragement that we need. 
If you are very tempted at a particular time, turn to his word every hour, and there you will find the strength that you need. We have each other to rely on as well. Brothers and sisters, help each other out in your struggle with sin. Do you think it's easy to tell someone, gouge out your eye, cut off your hand? No, it's difficult. It's hard, but realize that by removing an obstacle to a person's path toward heaven, you may save them from going to hell. But we have a lot of great comfort in this man, Jesus. We know why he came here. He told us to warn us of our sin. He came here to live, suffer, and die so he could remove that path of hell from us. He came so we would not go on the path to hell at all, but straight and only to the path of heaven. That is why Jesus came. Gouging out sin, it's difficult. But we have assurances that Jesus has paid for every single one of those sins. Whenever we struggle with sin, we, are, we have Jesus there to give us strength to fight it. Whenever we fall into sin, we have Jesus there for us to give us forgiveness and peace. This is the promise that we can always rely on. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.